Hello, my name is Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. Hello, it's Jason Reichel, Brick by Brick. We're here at RIMS 2023 in Atlanta, Georgia, where we're going to be talking to modern risk managers all week long. We have a lot of great interviews set up for you. Let's get started. Let's kick off RIMS 2023 with Craig Tapple. Craig is the chief sales officer at the North American Construction Specialty Practice at Hub, one of the world's largest insurance brokerages. With over 25 years of experience in the insurance industry, Tapple has proven a track record of driving sales growth and building successful teams while keeping his customers at the center of his focus. Join me for this fascinating conversation. Hello, Craig. Thank you for joining me in Brick by Brick. It's very nice to meet you. We were just catching up a little bit. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So you're at RIMS 2023. It's an event that risk managers show up to. Why is it a critical event in the ecosystem for risk managers? This is a huge gathering of people who are interested in keeping people safe and learning from what we've done in the past, trying to study that data, thinking about how we prevent those things in the future, and then getting all these insurance products to do what they're supposed to do when catastrophes happen, is to take care of people, put them back in place, rebuild the building, put the lives back together, and move forward. Yeah, I think that's important. Like, obviously, that's what insurance is there for. And when you're at an event like this, and you're talking to risk managers, and the one that's that we're trying to focus for are the next generation and the people who are coming up in their field, what sort of traits are the younger individuals bringing into the ecosystem? Like, how can you tell, we use the term modern risk manager. What does that mean to you? If I said, describe to me a modern risk manager that they will also think about the data. That's a big component that we used to miss quite a bit is how to bring in data as a solution, as a learning tool, and then how also how to integrate technology. It's built into them. We're not trying to train them or convert them from something else, the old ways of doing business. They are bringing those new pieces in. So we're trying to adapt and bring them into it without losing the good things that we've done already that are on the job site, that are at the workspace that people out in the field know, but also bring these new components of data and technology to bear. Why don't you give the listeners a little bit of background on you yourself? Like, I know that you work for Hub and you work in the construction space, but you've been doing it for a long time. So how has it changed since 25 years that you've been in the game? So 25 or 30 years ago, every assistant in our office had two huge filing cabinets behind them. And we had a unbelievably large file room down the way and everything was paper-driven. We would take applications by hand. We would, uh, cord forms really meant something where you would fill out every little detail and that entire schedule was studied by somebody who received it. And it was a very slow process. So coming forward, we've stopped killing quite as many trees. Yeah. (laughs) And the speed of things, we're not using telex and fax machines like we used to. And the speed to get information somewhere it has greatly improved the, the access to markets. But sometimes what you practically do with it hasn't changed that much at all, of that it's still a very personal business 
If you want somebody to do something, you've got to call them and say, hey, this is why I think this is a safe group. This is, they really know what they're doing and they're going to do it safely. So those, whenever I sit down with a customer, that hasn't changed for 30 years is I'm trying to understand who they are. Do you know what you're doing? Because <laughs> I got to explain that to somebody else. And will you do it safely? And if I can explain those three, then all the paper, whether it's and the old fashion of coming as a big file to an underwriter or a digital file, I can tell you that story in there as long as I've answered those first three questions. I think that's really interesting. One thing that a lot of organizations, I talk mostly to a lot of construction organizations, and we started broadening the podcast, but originally it was really focused on construction risk managers, kind of a group who are very critical to building the world around us and I'm passionate for who don't really speak a lot on media and other things like that. And so I kind of felt I wanted to give them a voice. But one thing that was interesting that has been emerging is trying to tell that story to underwriters with technology, with other tools like that. And the underwriting element of carriers still being not quite modernized to be able to take a lot of this new information or this digital information that, as you just said, what parts of the industry do you hope starts to modernize and starts to actually use this data more effectively? Like, where do you see this going? So I've seen a lot of certificate management processes, subcontractor prequalification, how you think about who you're going to do business with, and moving forward to the kind of that next stage of what do you do with this information, this data to make the next step of how do I prevent it in the future? Did I answer your question? Yeah. yeah. So when we're going through that workflow, I guess I'm just like, what, there's like a couple of things I want to talk about that that just sparked. One is, how do you tell someone to manage all the subcontractors? Like when that relationship, when you pass that risk off and then you might have good processes and technology, but then you're passing off to someone else who now doesn't. What are some of the advice that you're giving to your clients around how to manage their subcontractors and the subcontractors' technologies, as an example, mm-hmm. where you don't have complete control over that? And I'm just interested in to understand how do you actually build that digital footprint, I guess? What recommendations are you making today? It's to have a professional group, whether it's a broker or an outside partner, to try to help partner with them as they grow that to develop their own risk management department. Some of our clients are big enough to where they truly manage these things internally. They have a staff, they have a team, they can understand that data. But until they get there is to think about how do I build it? It's usually with an outside partner to do that with them. Right. It's 100% the same problem at TrustLayer that we have, which is we do really well if you have a risk management program and then they can see the value of this tool for tracking certificates, right? But then you go down and you're trying to talk to the level below that and it's the admin who's collecting COIs and they don't see the value of technology and making sure that data is streamlined and moving through the process. It's too important to have sitting on the edge of someone's desk as a side job that they do at the end of the month and the people are already working. So it's having that process from top to bottom of the organization that the CEO agrees all the way down to the people in the field that this is important, that the data is important, that to put it, it has to be, if you don't want garbage in, garbage out, you've got to have a really good process of how to bring it in. You can't just, it's not the one line on the certificate anymore. We're issuing ones that are 20 pages long. Yeah. Who's going to help read all that stuff? Who wants to read it? 100%. I totally agree with you. The cynic in me, who have now been doing a lot of these, right, would say, well, some people would say it's all in the contract, so all these other things don't matter, so to speak. That's like the legacy sort of, like the legacy of the industry 
competing against the progress of the industry, right? How do you combat that, the old ways and the new ways, and how do you bridge that gap? So from those of us who've been doing this a while, we read contracts almost every day. Right, that's, yeah, heart. And the, the contract is the key part of how we're going to build the work, how we're going to do it. It's as much as we can to get in front of even the contract signing with that customer of before the contract's even drawn up or approved. Or a lot of times we're doing very reactive things. We get a fully executed document. The, the work's already scheduled to start. The, the people are showing up. The money's already starting to flow. And if we would, insurance people, just get the information right and do exactly what the contract said, then everybody could get paid. But it's like, oh, well, that's hard to do, or that's very expensive, or that's troubling. What did you sign? Oh, my dear. And it's to try to get with our customers, whether it's builder's risk, and you're saying, I'm trying to get involved at the design phase. If it's a liability issue, work, yeah. pre-construction work, is, is to have a full plan of not only when I before I start the work, how is this going to work through the job? And then some of the things we give advice on it, it really impacts you know, seven, eight years down the road. I know you all track seven, 10 years after our project is Correct, complete. Right. So I was meeting with a group last week and saying, okay, the decisions you make today, the way you draw this up is a 12-year decision. It's going to take three to four years to build this project. And then we're going to track this for 10 years because of the state you're in. So just let's think about it before you execute these documents and put all these implications not only on your subcontractors, because if you make it too hard, everybody's going to ignore it. Mm -hmm. They're not going to collect the data. They're not going to follow the rules. They're going to make tons of exceptions because they've created something to where they have to. What do you think about subcontracting, having a view in, if you're a GC and you want to have a view into your subcontractors' contractors? This is something that a lot of people are talking about where they would love to have more a view into what's going on. So you're responsible, if you're the general contractor, you're responsible for everyone on that job site. And the same thing, if you're the project owner, yeah, you're right. also responsible <laughs> yeah, for everybody, everything, everything that, that happens yeah. on that job, job site. So it's to, even a small sub, can cause a big issue. Or, you know, a lot of our general contractors, we know that they are very well run and they have good financial resources. But if it's a large job, just say the electrical work. They Say a big electrical contract they've been doing business with for a while and they need to kind of re-review where are you at? Where are you at from a safety point of view? Where are you at from a financial point of view? Do I have to think about, are you a good partner for this job today in the mm -hmm. state? Because the decisions I make are gonna go on. I've got to not only worry about you today, but all the way through the job and then all the way long down the road to where I have to deal with the results of your work, the quality of your work. Do you think that then that benefits the GC to put infrastructure and invest in their subcontractors to make sure that they have good yeah, risk absolutely. programs? And It can't always be lowest bid wins. It has to be something more than that. Because that was our mentality for a long time was whoever's the cheapest, that must be the best. Let's do it. Sometimes that's still a case in public works of whatever the lowest bid is, let's go, that must be the right contractor, let's give yeah. them the job. And then you have to work through a change order process because they didn't include this, or they didn't include they didn't, that. Yeah. And it not only is not, as the work is not done as well, because it could be because of a sub of sub, but it's also, it ends up more expensive for everyone. Yeah, or the person that's even vetting the sub of the sub doesn't understand the insurance or the contract in the first place. And you might not be as the GC, even aware of that, right? I feel like it's sometimes the further rings you go out, the organizations have a bigger risk appetite, but they don't even know they're taking on that much risk. Yeah. So I, a lot of times will, some of our customers are that love next one tier down, two tiers down in a contract. And you'll read through everything. And then somewhere in there, it says, by the way, not exact <laughs> words, but by the way, everything in the prime contract is incorporated here. 
yeah. so all the insurance requirements, all the legal requirements, all the things that you're supposed to do from a compliance purpose, what you're financially responsible for, is in a whole other document that a lot of them don't even look at. So you may worry about negotiating your own, but then there's this line that says, by the way, everything, everything in that other contract is, that you coming, didn't negotiate is water falling yeah. down to you, and you have to comply with everything here. So it, it's trying to broaden their eyes to that. One thing that you mentioned that I want to clue in on is making insurance part of, I don't know, I always like to try to think of new metaphors to describe these things, but the river, right? The flow of getting good work done, building the world around us. Do you feel like that is always been the mentality of the industry and the professionals in the industry? Because a lot of people who I talk to, they sometimes have this idea that, oh, I'm looked at as a risk manager, as an example. I'm looked at as a cost reduction. I'm like looked at as a stop sign to my organization. Oh, I've, 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 had, him, I've had him say that I'm just the person who says no all the time. Right. <laughs> all I do is say no or you can't do that and realizing that they're an integral part of doing things safely, doing things well. Because if there is a job, if something bad happens on a job, a major injury to a worker or a large damage to property, that stops the job. Right. <laughs> And you're trying to prevent that. You're trying to bring all these tools and resources because we really want our organizations to be efficient. We really don't want people to get hurt. And if somebody does get hurt, we want to take care of them. And then we want to get the job going as fast as possible. Yeah. So that's, I think most risk managers, that is their absolute goal. But sometimes they're seen as just the stop sign person. Yeah. And and sometimes they see themselves as that. I think that that is the most interesting part of trying to pull people into the workforce, into being risk managers, into the idea of working with insurance is that it's an opportunity to actually grow the business if done correctly and a way of actually desiloing all of the independent parts of a construction organization or whatever industry you're in where you're doing this work and understanding and pulling experience from all those different departments to try to build cross-functionality in some ways. There is a reason that some of the largest organizations out there, some of the people who build the biggest projects, who have the biggest facilities are some of the safest out there. There's, it's not because they're not exposed to the same risk. It's because they have used the tools and understood that this is an integral part of what they do. I see the life cycle of most companies. They start off as small. It's somebody, it's very personal to them. They care. It's pretty safe. They grow kind of medium, really trying to grow that business, kind of trying to get sharp and lean yeah. and grow really fast. And they get a little bit more dangerous. And yep. we have to, might say they need to find religion or we need, them, <laughs> we need them to find that this is- The value. The value that this isn't just a cost line. I'm not just the insurance guy that shows up once a year and charges you an enormous amount of money. That if I, everything that I do on the insurance part is usually about a third of the cost. And that includes paying your broker, making a profit for the insurance company. And if I can get them to focus on the other two thirds of the equation, the actual losses, let's make that number smaller. If I can make that number smaller, man, we're all going to be happy and your insurer is going to be happy. Everybody's going to make more money. You're going to be safer. Your insurance is going to cost less. Your jobs are going to get done faster. Let's have a party. Yeah, right. Exactly. 100%. How many rims have you been to? This is my first. Your first. Okay. You've been to many conferences though, like this, right? So for you, what makes this, like, how do you walk out of here Wednesday when it's all done and go, hey, that was successful? What does that mean to you? Whenever, whether it's within my own organization or at other conferences or here, you want to walk into a room where you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm with really smart people who buy into the same ideas that I have. 
And I want to get to know them. I want to share ideas with them. I want to get into a situation where, hey, that's the money I want to do business with. And I feel like this is one of those environments. That's amazing. I think that's about all the time we have. I want to keep it just under 20 minutes. Thank you so much, Craig, for your time. I really appreciate sitting down with me. You're on LinkedIn. People can follow you on LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff. Okay, great. So we'll make sure we run all that. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the invite. Joining me now on Brick by Brick is Dr. Marcos Iglesias. Marcos is the chief medical director at Travelers, one of the largest providers of property and casualty insurance products in the U.S. Dr. Iglesias is renowned for his knowledge of workers' compensation and both the psychological and environmental factors that impact the valuable work being done in the construction sector. He has a passion for his patients and giving them the tools to help themselves. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Iglesias. Thank you so much for joining me on Brick by Brick today. Uh, how's RIMS been for you so far? It's been great. I've been here just a few hours and it's already uh, very productive and very busy. When you say productive, what do you mean? Yeah, well, I've had a chance to meet some of the, our partners that we work with. I've had a chance to meet some of our own folks at Travelers that I may have never met in person. So it's it's been wonderful. Yes, absolutely. So why don't you give me an overview of what do you do for Travelers? Sure. So I am the chief medical director and I oversee a small team that we call the medical innovation and strategy team. Primarily, we work in workers' compensation to build solutions to try to help injured employees recover after an illness. So that's a lot of what we do. But we also cross over into some of our other lines of business like auto and general liability. That's pretty interesting. So innovation, packaging those things up. And strategies, even some of the things that we're doing now, how can we do them so that they're more meaningful to that customer and to their employee who has had a work injury? And on the podcast, we talk about the modern risk manager. And we talk about that person being connected to the innovation that's happening within their own team, within moving from being looked at as a, no, you can't do this center into being a center that understands and can bring innovative products into the space to potentially make more money for their organization, keep their subcontractors safer, keep their team safer. So do you feel like that you guys are falling into that modern sort of take on what that looks like going forward? Sure, yeah. Everything we do is with an eye to this is a different world than even it was five, 10 years ago. So what is out there? What are the risks? How can we help mitigate them? What do we understand now that maybe we didn't understand as an industry a few years ago? And how does that impact the way that we design medical programs, the way that we talk to the injured employee? Do we emphasize some things more or less than we used to? So it's one of the things I love about workers' comp, that we're always learning and we can always apply to make new solutions that are One impactful. thing I'm really interesting you said is we're in a different world. What is that? What, why? What's the catalyst? So a lot of things. Obviously, we're just coming out of a pandemic that has influenced how we think about work. And so that's a big issue. But I think one of the things that the pandemic accelerated is something that I've been seeing slowly developing over the last 10, even 20 years. And that is a, an emphasis on the mental well-being of our employees of every employee and every, in fact, every citizen in this country, right? We have a more open attitude towards mental health issues than we did. I mean, a few years ago, we would never talk about mental health, especially mental health in the workplace. Now I see risk managers, I see supervisors, I see a lot of folks really want to understand how do we see mental health? How do I help my employees? Because it's now seen as part of well-being. We're blurring the line, and I think rightfully so, between mental health 
and physical health. It's health. It's right. health and That's wellness. Right. We're not two separate beings. I don't come to you as a body and as a mind and they're separate. I'm one individual and we're now understanding that it's important. It's the right thing to do. And it has great consequences to think about us that way. Think about us holistically. Do you find that as you approach something that could be sensitive, that taking a medical approach to it has been a way that you've been able to broach the subject in the workplace? Like, what are some of the suggestions that you or your team give to a risk manager who's trying to talk about these things and put these programs in place? In fact, I would argue that it's a non-medical approach. I don't want to scare someone by using medical language or talking about medical issues because what I've seen before, even in well-meaning individuals, is like, well, I'm not a medical person. I, I won't go there. But if you just start talking about mental well-being, physical well-being, it's just about an individual. I'm talking to you. I'm not thinking about you medically. I'm thinking of you as a human being. I can relate to you. I'd like you to relate to me. So it's more at that human level that I think those interactions and that change in, in thinking is happening. Don't be afraid of asking, hey, Jason, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Well, tell me more about that, right? That's not uniquely medical. That's just someone who cares. Empathetic. Somebody who cares, yeah. right? So think about mental well-being and how you can approach it by just being more interested in the person and being interested in like, you would want them to be interested in you. Hey, I wish somebody had asked me how I was doing. As you've built these programs, what are some of the stories that you've seen come out because these programs have been built and they're going into modern risk programs? Sure. I mean, just something as basic as individuals who have a work injury. One of the things that we've been doing, and we can talk about this in a bit, is we're giving them an app that helps build some skills into their lives, some skills as basic as how to sleep better. Mm -hmm. And so we've had a lot of individuals that come, hey, I was in pain, I've got an injury, I wasn't sleeping well, I've learned a lot from this approach of just making available some tools, I sleep better and that's helped me deal with my life in a better yeah, way. Yeah, someone that's dealt with insomnia my whole life, it's been very difficult sometimes not to have that carry over into my work or other aspects of my life for sure. And imagine if you're injured, then how much worse that insomnia is going to yeah. make your pain and, and, and how you think about your life and returning to work. So when you're talking about this app, so the app is available to yeah. whom? So we are nurses when they're talking to an employee that has been injured and has lost time off work. They have a conversation with them and are looking for one of five different risk factors. We call these yellow flags or psychosocial risks which we know are not only going to increase the cost of the claim, but are going to delay that individual's recovery. And so once we've identified somebody like that, we offer them the use of an app that we've helped develop. It's an app that uses a chatbot to understand what may that individual's issues be. Anger management, stress, sleep. And then that app essentially helps the individual to learn some skills. So deep breathing exercises, maybe for stress management, helps them to understand how to sleep better, helps them to understand how to deal with anger. And it uses skill building exercises, follow-up. Hey, Jason, are you using this? How do you find it? And that's available to the employee to use 24-7, 
It's completely voluntary. It's really not a medical app. It's just, I like to call it a lifestyle coaching app. Yeah. seems more like providing frameworks that maybe they didn't have access to, or even if you have access to it, bringing that familiarity back and making it centered to your own well-being. Right. And also in a very usable format. It really is a very user-friendly app. I like to use it. One of the things that risk managers often say is, when they talk all about the claims, but then when you really start to talk about the people, it's like sometimes if you're hurting off the job, you feel powerless too. So giving you some autonomy to combat against those feelings. Yeah, no, that's a big issue. And you hit it right off the nail on the head. It's about helping that individual take charge of their recovery. And right now they may not be able to because they're not sure that they can, or they're dealing with these other issues. But if they can deal with others, those issues better, then now they can take over their recovery. Has this program been in effect long enough that you've been able to see that this builds a better community of employee to organization and improve other elements of that relationship? So we've been using this uh, first on a pilot format for a few months, starting two years ago. And then over the last year, we've made it available to more more injured employees. Now we're making it available to any injured employee who has one of these risk factors. What we've seen so far, and it's still a little bit early to tell, is great user acceptance. We've heard anecdotally these individuals really enjoy it, like it, find it helpful. They're scoring the app very high. They're giving it, I think, 80, over 80% of them are giving it five stars. But then we're also looking at some of the data. And one of the things we've seen and we're really pleased with is that individuals who are using the app compared to those who are not have 30% fewer lost time days. So they're getting back to function. They're getting back to work about 30% more quickly. Yeah, that's really, when we talk about risk management and there's a lot of interesting things and in, in bringing innovation in and looking at old problems with new eyes and understanding that maybe a lot of where risk management was in the past around someone saying no to things instead of creating opportunities for their employees and their subcontractors and everyone is sort of a way for the industry to move forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know that I mentioned, but for example, when we discover that an individual has a risk factor, those risk factors matter. We have found that individuals with even just one risk factor have a much higher cost of a claim because they're not returning to work. So these things, they're not just theoretical. So they they have the, real It's good life. for the employee, good for the insurance, right? And good for the good risk for manager the contractor. too. Yeah. But you know, ultimately, I came to this industry as a physician because I care about that employee. And now I get a chance to help thousands of employees at the same time, as opposed to one patient at a time. So it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I really think the idea of self-guidance, the idea of coaching, the idea of putting good fundamentals in to help the individual at the individual level shows just that dynamic thinking that I see all over at RIMS in these kind of events that are very much about the innovators in the space coming together and having conversations. One thing I wanted to ask you is what is success or what does a successful RIMS look like for you? What does the end of this event look like? I think it will look like I've met some interesting people. We've shared some interesting ideas. We've come up with better ways of doing what we're doing because something that you said triggered a new thought, something we discussed helps us advance the things that we really care about. So it's about those relationships and about learning. It's about innovation right here. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Jason. 
Joining me now at RiskWorld 2023 is insurance and technology expert, Alistair Yu. Alistair is the Senior Vice President of Operations at Rhodes Online Institute, a leading provider of information, technology solutions, and customer service excellence for the insurance industry. Alistair is always up to date with the latest technology trends to help us in the insurance industry comply. Thank you, Alistair, for joining me on Brick by Brick. Thank you, Jason. Pleasure to be here. So the first question is, tell me a little bit about your career path to getting here to RIMS 2023. That's what's on everybody's mind. Absolutely. I understand this. I think it's everyone's kid, every kid's dream. Yeah. They wake up like, I can't wait to work in insurance. I can't (laughs) wait to get into research. But actually what had happened was I worked for a technology firm called Ethan and they were really focused on providing solutions to the public sector and specifically in the insurance market. So they developed the solution for the insurance department in the state of New York. They furthered that with a solution for the state of Arkansas, for the state of Washington. They white-labeled their product and partnered with the NAIC to deliver state-based system. And that was really my start is in terms of working with regulators. Yes, right. Understanding the complexity of regulation and then taking those ideas and spinning it off into a product which is focused on providing compliance efficiencies to the industry. And that's where we sit today with Rhodes in terms of providing technology that helps the industry comply better with changing state regulations. So as regulations change in real time, how different organizations can react to them and know about them? Or like, what does that mean? Absolutely. I mean, regulations are always changing. We see different states coming up with ideas about what they want to do with cyber. Like in New York, we see different regulations in terms of like even the state of California saying now producers need to put their license number below their signatures, right? And they need to have that. So regulation is always changing. It's understanding and working with organizations like Rhodes or just being in places like RIMS, just to understand how that landscape is changing, being in touch with regulators, working with associations to just see how is the state looking to look at regulation in a different way, looking at compliance a different way, looking at the evolving landscape and working with technology partners to help implement those changes. Yeah, when we talk about risk management as a holistic practice, usually have people who break it down into contractual risk transfer, the insurance side. You have then people who talk about the regulatory side and understanding how your business has to comply with those regulatory standards. And then you have the human element side of it, dealing with your employees or your subcontractors and parties or whatever you do. For you, in the time that you spend in the industry and with the risk managers that you talk to, knowing that you kind of work on the regulatory side for technology and enabling it, what sort of things do you think a modern risk program needs to have in it? Sure. So for us, we believe, Jason, that it starts with the credential. It starts with the license, right? Because everything downstream, you can't write a policy without a license. You can't bind a policy without a licensed professional who's properly appointed, so on and so forth, right? So we believe it starts with compliance and it's the ability to manage that compliance, manage the credential, and then push that downstream or push that through your ecosystem, your internal ecosystem to manage risk, right? How can I make informed decisions, intelligent decisions based upon compliance data? Yeah. So what are some pieces of compliance data for that besides just your license number? Absolutely. And it's changing. So today, at a very, very simple level, it's the license and the appointment. But now we're looking at what are states asking for 
so that someone can be licensed properly. Some people are asking for citizenship affidavits, right? Are you a citizen or not, right? People are looking for driver's license numbers. And that's the difficulty or the complexity in the regulation is that those states want to be standardized. There are still these intricacies, right, that make each state different in terms of what they're looking for to properly credential. Yeah. Does it carry down into even like industry specifics and different policies that people can write? Give me, so we deal with a lot more of the actual risk managers within an organization working with the producers, right? Sure. How do you, as a risk manager, ensure that you're working with a good producer who is making good consultative suggestions to you? What advice do you have for how to ensure that you're you're not going to know all those compliance things when you're the head of risk management for a construction company, as an example. You might not know every element of what is... You might not be abreast of all the changes that are happening. So you often go to your broker and you work with them and you build that trust. So what are, to you, those key elements of trust in a relationship? Well, I think this, in the financial sector, in the risk management sector, there's always this whole concept of know your customer, right? But it's also just knowing, right, who are you doing business with? Have you done the proper checks with them, right? And in terms of understanding that develop, that degree of risk or that degree of, is this person properly credentialed? There are facilities where you can go online and check with different states. Have there been any kind of enforcement action against this person, any riots actions against these people? So there are those abilities and those products out there where you can do those screenings for the broker that you may or may not be working with. Yeah, right. What's some of the innovations and technology that you see coming from a trend perspective? Sure. So we've talked about different states looking at different aspects today, whether it's cybersecurity, and that's at the organizational level. Do they have the right cyber plans in place? Okay. We're looking at other things that we talked about just in terms of the individual. Are they a citizen? Have they fulfilled background? Have you done criminal check, financial checks on these individuals, so background screening for the individual. Have they done their education? And and hopefully states look at education as a way to make sure that the individuals are properly informed, right, or properly educated. So I think all those aspects are in place. But definitely in terms of how states are changing, I mean, one really upcoming item, right, and this has to go back to the credential, is how do carriers, how do agencies ensure that their individuals are continuing to maintain a license and retain a credential. So one of the things and one of the products that they're using is a product from the NIPR called the CSR, the Company Specialized Report. Now, that's a report that allows you to provide data in terms of, okay, here are all the people that are I'm working with, and here are their credentials, and let's ping, and let's use that to update our data. Now, this report is going to be retired. Yes, right. I know. It's a big deal. So that's a big deal because a lot of carriers are utilizing this to keep their data in place and keep their data baseline. With it going away, different products and different tools and vendors like Rhodes are going to help bridge that gap, right, to kind of ensure that the credential stays maintained, and if not, What's the delta and what are the exceptions and how does that affect policies that have been written or will be written in the future? Right. And you mentioned one thing about verifying that they continue to have that credential, right? Because one-time checks 
are not sufficient in the modern world. Absolutely. One-time checks are not sufficient. You can't just check once because that's only good at the time that you checked, right? So how do we do constant surveillance, right? So one is constant surveillance and daily surveillance and the ability for companies like Rhodes to provide that data daily to organizations. But it's also to have the technology in-house, in place, so that as policies are bound, not just the first time I bind a policy or submit a policy as a producer, but for each continuing policy that I said, that we're doing a compliance check, right? It shouldn't just happen one point in time and that's it, because there's so much exposure, (laughs) you know, for future policies. In our own product, TrustLayer, we are doing a similar thing for COIs. If you issue a COI, that's good maybe when you issue it, but when you're on the job, did that something lapse, did something change? Did you have that insurance because you were doing another job? So now you no longer are doing that job, so you no longer have that insurance. And so needing to go to a repository. So one thing that I'm interested in as the insurance industry who has been fiercely private with their information are moving to a landscape where if we share this information we're all better off. All of our jobs are more safe. All of our agencies and producers are more effective. What is and how is the industry going to provide, what's it going to be its value differentiator, right? Because it seemed like looking at in the past, it was like hoarding information, hoarding this data was considered a value differentiator. And people found, actually, we need to put this data together to paint the whole picture. And so that's not going to be our value differentiator. And now people are starting to talk about service and other things as the value differentiator. So technology is sort of bridging a gap, but I'm just wondering how is the industry reacting to the need to consolidate this data or the need to have repositories that are living, so to speak? Absolutely. And that's a really great question. I think organizations today are starting to have that shift, that mind shift. I mean, we look at compliance and compliance sits with risk. And it's, I don't want to say it's a dirty word. I don't want to say it's a four-letter word, right? But everyone is seeing compliance as a cost center, right? It's the cost of doing business. We have to pay for a license. We have to pay for an appointment. We have to pay to maintain this data. What we're seeing, though, is that organizations are starting to see, and we're helping our customers see, that compliance can actually be a profit center, okay? That you can utilize the data that you have in terms of producer producer credential, producer status, marry that with policy information. Where have we written good policies? Where do we have the most policies written? Let's start managing and doing analytics around these. And let's start building things like a model producer profile. And let's start sending that out to operations or to sales to start recruiting in certain areas. Let's also understand what's not productive, right? Why are we still investing? Right. So I do see organizations starting to see that compliance data shouldn't just be a cost to the organization, but actually a piece of data that they can mine and build intelligent decisions on. Yes. I think that's something that often comes up on the podcast around we've been collecting data for so long in this space, but we haven't really actioned the data successfully. And so now organizations are asking themselves, I mean, same thing in just pure tech beat, like tech space. We've been collecting all this data about all of our users for so long. What do we do with it? And now only organizations are understanding the value of making decisions or all these elements that come into it. Absolutely. Can agree with you more. And I think that's definitely where compliance is moving today. 
One thing that's interesting for you is when you guys talk about compliance, you're talking a lot about regulatory compliance. In our world, when we talk about compliance with a risk manager who is running a business, what's compliant is subjective, right? So if I am a risk manager for a construction company and I want someone to have a certain kind of insurance, ultimately I have the choice to waive those things and continue to do business and take that risk onto myself. So how important is it to have, do you think, a standard definition of compliance at the organizational level? (laughs) That's a great question. I think you hit the nail on the head initially, right? Irrespective of we're looking at compliance, we're looking at contracts, we're looking at whatever. It's what is my level of risk and how am I interpreting things, right? What am I deciding as to what is critical for my organization's path? It's like renting a car. Do I check off the box for insurance or not, right? Right, right. You know, do I? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are making those decisions based upon past experience. Have I gotten burned before or not? And if I have, then I'm going to... There's nobody that we can sell our software easier to unless they've been burned. It's like, that's an easy thing to sell it to. But convincing people that you should be aware of your risk appetite. I find that so many people in the industry who are really intelligent risk managers aren't even aware of all the waivers that they write in a year or all the risks that they open themselves up to because they're not looking at it at a holistic view. They're looking at it at a project by project view or in the, all these other elements. I just think that without the government getting involved, is RIMS a place where those conversations can occur? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is the correct format. It's the community coming together, sharing ideas, sharing experiences more importantly in terms of This has come up in our lifetime. It may come up in your lifetime as well. This is how we've addressed these items. And this is how perhaps best practices in terms of how you should. And I think it's conversations that happen at RIMS, conferences like RIMS, that are able to bring the correct population together to share those experiences so that people can broaden their horizons and then redefine their risk appetite. Yeah, exactly. 100%. For you, at the end of these next three days, what's success look like for you for RIMS? Like, how do you come to an event like this? And then how do you define success? Again, education. I think it's education. Educating people in terms of where, how we view risk, how we view compliance, the value of compliance, but also understanding from others that we're talking to what their view of risk is, right? And then what their view of compliance is. So I think for us, this is what we're here to do. I think it was what we're all here to do is just to learn, to learn and to share. And, and that's how we're going to measure our success here. How do you not take the cynical view that this is a place for brokers and to sell business and make business and that it's not just a big marketing ploy? Like, how do you, or like, how do you create the space where the business that's being created is worth of of value. Like, how do you as an organization build your relationships, so to speak? Obviously, we're all here to sign business or or to grow our own businesses, but we have to come together and have a communal conversation about the industry. So what are sort of your techniques for creating that win-win environment? I think it starts with a relationship, right? I mean, we're in this, we're moving to new avenues today where, insurance can just be bought online. There's no more kitchen table, right? Right. You know, and for good or for bad, right? But at the end of the day, I think- Gatekeepers are being removed. Absolutely. But I still feel it's a relationship business, right? It's still being able to look somebody straight in the eye, shake their hand and have trust, right? And then that's what it comes down to. And I think that's where it starts at organizations and opportunities here like RIMS, 
right? Is to meet people like yourself, yeah. right? Look them straight in the eye and decide, is this someone that we can do business with? Is there a level of trust? And I think every relationship does start with trust. Yeah. Being a New York guy and seeing everything that's happening with like regional banks and things like that, are you at all nervous about insurance as a, an industry at all right now? No. No. <laughs> I mean, I haven't got that feeling at no. whatsoever, right? No. That anyone is no. concerned about. I think insurance for good or for bad, it's very steady. They only think about, I mean, what's, it's very conservative. Yeah. Success is we did 3%, we did 5%. That's great. We're not looking to build and grow 100, 150. We're not. Insurance, I think, is managing their risk <laughs> very conservatively. Yeah. And as such, we're, we're not that, I'm not concerned in terms of a collapse of the, the financial market for yeah. insurance. But as a technology provider, are you finding the doors and the conversations easy in a post-pandemic world or are the conversations harder? I think they're easier. And I think it's about the value that Rhodes brings to our client base. I mean, they're products and we don't see ourselves as a product. I'm going to use a cliche term. We see ourselves as a solution. I mean, anybody can buy a repository, okay, of storage, right? Anybody can, there's so many options to go for, how do I want to renew a license or how do I want to send out an appointment to the state? We're not a transaction turnstile, okay? Yes, we provide those features, absolutely, okay? But those to me are commoditized. What we bring is the automation, the efficiency. I mean, AI is a big term here. We What's AI really? But for us, we like to turn it around and call it IA. We call it intelligent automation, right? And our ability just to automate the entire producer life cycle so that your work staff, your compliance teams, your experts are focused on exception management. They're utilizing their expertise to make decisions as opposed to the mundane. Why waste their time on that? Yeah, a post-AI world is a world where you're using your resources to make the decisions that you should have probably always had those resources be making. Absolutely. Right? Distributing that authority and that creativity to those edges. Absolutely. And that's the value that we see ourselves bringing to the marketplace. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. Find out how TrustLayer manages risk so that the people can build the physical world around us. Head over to TrustLayer.io. And then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the TrustLayer team, thank you for listening.